0: And now, coming to you from the Gershon Room, high above the Coot Street Motel 6, it's Jonathan Strahn, without Gary, and with special guests Elisa Kresenstein, Sean Wright, and Tahani Wesley on the Coot Street Podcast. And hello, everybody. Hello, Elisa. Hello. Hello, Sean. Hello. And hello, Tahani. Welcome all to the Coot Street Podcast. Thank you for having us. It's my very great pleasure. Uh, Gary is fast asleep in Chicago, I assume, and, and that leaves me to deal with Antipodean matters, which we probably don't do often enough here on the Coot Street podcast. We're here because 48 hours ago, roughly, the uh, 2014 Aurealis Award finalists were announced by the Aurealis Awards organization, which you are a coordinator of, Tahani. It must have been quite an effort to get to that point.
1: It was. We've had a, um, it, it's always a busy time, particularly this time of year, trying to get the last of the stories in. And it's, um, it's a bit stressful trying to meet the deadlines when everybody's super busy, but it's very exciting when they come out because the amount of, with the social media these days, and the amount of response that you immediately get is just lovely to see. And everyone going, oh, it's so great. Congratulations. And all of that sort of stuff is really
0: nice. And I guess, Sean, it must also be a a time of some relief for someone like yourself who served as a judge this year that now all of the the work is is done and you can sit back and rest on your laurels Mm
2: -hmm. Um, I can can get to the huge ziggurat of books that I should have been reviewing (laughs) (laughs) yes, yes I'd like to rest but uh, I might take a week off (laughs) uh, and of course yeah I was going to say, it. it is a bit of a relief. I, I'm I'm not generally a, a short uh, fiction reader. I'll read anthologies, but not uh, religiously, you know, go out and read short stories. And it's sort of, it's been an education, so it was well worth doing. Excellent.
0: And, Elise, I guess, as an editor and a publisher, for you, as for me, it's a fascinating time of year because you get that little annual scorecard on how your work yes. is doing.
3: That's correct. Now we find out how we did last
0: year. (laughs) (laughs) And are you happy with how you did?
3: I think we did okay. Yes, I am happy.
0: Excellent. I am as well. Quite happy. One or two little disappointments I won't talk about here, but very happy. So, uh, we sit here on the cusp of, I think, the 20th anniversary of the Aurealis Awards. And I thought maybe, Tahani, you could give us a little bit of background of what the Aurealis Awards are for the overseas listeners, particularly who may not be as familiar with them as they could be.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, um, the, as I say, the Aurealis Awards started almost 20 years ago and they were started by Dirk Strasser, who was a, also the founding publisher of Aurealis magazine and it was a spin-off from that, which you probably know more about than me, Jonathan, because I before my time in fandom, I'm afraid. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, that's true. It was uh,
0: Dirk and Stephen Higgins uh, had been publishing Aurealis magazine since 1990, as I recall. And we're perhaps, I think, in retrospect, reaching that first, the end of that first great period of energy when you do something like that. I've noticed you tend to sort of get about a three to five year sort of period where you have all the energy in the world and then you see what happens next. (laughs) And they decided to announce the Aurealis Awards, which were greeted originally, I think, with some, with a combination of interest and excitement and some skepticism because it was a magazine specific award back at a time when there were two main magazines in the field and when it was a a much much different field to the one we see today. Mm. Um, However, that's changed very much, and if anything now, you know, the awards have overtaken, to my assessment, the magazine overwhelmingly in the history of the field and have become very, very important because they are, you you know, the only major juried award out there in Australia. I mean, they're, they're compared, I suppose, to what the Hugos, or sorry, the Nebulas, the World Fancy Awards for Australia being juried. And mm. so that's always been an interesting part of it and seeing how juries come together and who serves on them. I mean, I was a judge for, I think, the first three years. Right, yeah. Uh, so yeah, it
1: would have been a very different
0: number of entries then I'd uh, that well I mean I saw a list and I don't know whether anybody can comment as to its accuracy so if you can that was for the Ditmar Awards where there was a, a preliminary list which was overwhelming I mean it listed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of items mm. and you know back in the day you know it's like if there were six or eight science fiction novels or ten science fiction novels you would have been very very lucky I mean it was also just around the same time that the the great kind of upswing in Australian fantasy was happening so mm-hmm. you know you had the uh, the, the Pan Macmillan uh, program you had the beginning of Voyager at, at almost exactly the same time so there were a lot more books to recognize but it was still a much uh much smaller, smaller yeah. market and also I think it'd be fair to say you know, I mean that was why there was probably a far fewer categories back in the day mm.
1: so because that's grown over the years and um you know even it's interesting to look at that if you look at the um the history of the awards and when the categories came in and when things were recognized as needing their own categories and at the same time as when some categories have been retired as well um and the reasons for those are many and varied and i find that really interesting as well
0: (laughs) very true now i mean i think all of us maybe at some time and correct me if i'm wrong have been judges of the Aurealis awards that's true
2: yep Um, now there's this is my first year. This is your first. First year. <laughs> oh, <you'll
1: laughs> We've be, got him now.
0: Yeah, you get another <laughs> invitation. You'll see how it goes. <laughs> now, Alisa, how was you? What was your experience as a judge like?
3: Oh, really? You're going to go to <laughs> me? Oh, um, <laughs> I have judged. I think twice. Um, the second time, I really enjoyed it, although it was for a panel category that I'm not sure people were actually qualified to be judges on. Is that big contentious? Mm-hmm. And the other one was one of the worst experiences of my entire life.
0: <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, but that's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> I, it is really. Okay. So I that's one thing I want to sort of ask moving around. There was a fundamental from the outside at least, change in the way the Aurealis Awards are run this year, in that for the first time you moved to charging for entries, that, you know, book-length entries had to pay, I think, $10 to enter. Mm-hmm. Uh, what impact do you feel that had on the range of submissions you received?
1: Uh, well, given that it was only the book length entries, I was really interested to see the numbers on this. And luckily, because I've been judging coordinator for a few years, I've got the spreadsheet so I can count the numbers. And it, to me, the impact was really minimal in terms of what was entered. Um, in e- like So every as far as we can ascertain almost every book that possibly could have been entered that we could track down, that we knew about, that was out there and available was entered in one category or another where we think we may have seen a little impact is the scattershot effect so in the past when it's been Mm. free to enter and especially in the last couple of years where we've been much more accepting of electronic entries to the point now where it's preferred by most judges um we were getting entries of work in multiple categories a lot of the time so it might be in ya and fantasy and horror or science fiction and fantasy, NYA, and some you know two, sometimes three, sometimes even four categories. And while there are, you know, Australia is well known for its genre bending sort of um, work, it's really, really unusual for a book to actually really represent a particular category as well as another category at the time. Having said that, we ha- often have books on multiple shortlists, so it does happen, yeah. and it's certainly not unexpected. Yeah. But and we still got books entered in multiple categories this year. They were ten dollars per category, so that was absolutely fine. Um, but I think that's where we saw a slight reduction in our entries. Was not actually the works themselves not being entered, but where they were entered. So.
0: And do you think it's a trend that you'll continue with? That it's been a, a successful experiment for the awards?
1: I think so, definitely. I mean, there was a lot of talk about it when we when we first announced it um, in both. Negative and positive ways, which was actually a really interesting experience because we were, as as the organisers, we're always interested in what people are saying, um, and some, any, if anyone has any, you know, really um, thoughtful and useful ideas, we're more than willing to to hear them and see what will work. Um, and so it was it was going to be an experiment in terms of yes, will this be will this have an impact? And what we found was well, no, it really didn't, and yes, it will continue because it means the the long term viability of the awards is
0: guaranteed. Well, I guess that's a a question because there's the issue of the, if you like, the business of the awards, which most people don't think about very much, you know, because Mm -hmm. even if you're not charging entries or anything else, at the end of the day, you've got to pay for acquiring stuff for judges, potentially, you have to pay for promotions and marketing, you have to pay for statuettes and all this sort of stuff. And that can be quite a significant expense, I would imagine.
3: Yeah, the expenses
1: are um, we don't uh, we don't pay to acquire things for our judges. It is up to the entrant to supply them, um, and that sometimes becomes well, it used to I should say become an issue for some entrants, particularly smaller presses and perhaps self publishers, more than the bigger publishers who have budgets for those sort of things. One would assume, um, but because we are now accepting electronic entry, it's not really a financial impact in that way. So people don't have to post books that cost them money to. Uh, print and then post them as well. So it's it's we think it's actually cheaper in a lot of ways for most entrants. Um, but the yeah the, the actual outgoing costs we've got, as you say, the statuettes, there are I mean you know we, we always well, we have in recent years always given free entry to the to the awards ceremony for finalists. Um, and our judges as well, because let's face it, they do a lot of hard work and they don't get paid for it. So it's um, really great to be able to offer them that one thing that they get um, at the end of it, which is a really great night. Uh, the The ceremony has been fantastic for several years. Uh, it's been built up to one of the premier events um, of the Speculative fiction Calendar. Um, but yeah, the statuettes, the marketing, uh, the, the actual ceremony itself has its costs involved, of course, as any um, big event will and so we 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 want to keep the cost low we want to keep it affordable so that people can come and and be part of it but it is a you've got to look at that long term effect and and what's what's going to make it viable for people sure. to continue to participate in and i think that having that entry fee and it is only for book categories because we didn't want to impact upon the short fiction at all because that's a really challenging thing sure. to try and start looking at do you charge for short story entries when some people don't even get paid to write them So, um, yeah, so we wanted to make sure we didn't do that at all.
0: Okay. Now, Elisa, as the sole publisher amongst us, Mm -hmm. I guess I'd ask, did that impact on your decisions about what you submitted to the awards?
3: Um, At first, I kind of um, wondered about whether I would actually submit my 12 Planet collections to the collections category because uh, historically they've never actually won. Yeah. So, I'm always like, well, they're four short stories up against a full collection. Should I actually be entering these in this category? Um, but in the end, when I actually did the maths, as Tahani says, it's much cheaper. Um, I could submit those as eBooks. I could also submit them to the short story categories for free. So, it do- it is actually quite expensive, especially when the Aurealis Awards moved to five judges to send five copies. Mm. Sometimes there were judges outside of Australia. It's very expensive. Um and when you look at a lot of awards, definitely I don't submit to some that require seven or ten hard copies sure. of a book. I just can't afford it. So, yeah, look, it ended up being cheaper for me this year. So it, it didn't change any of my decisions.
0: Well, that's good because, I mean, I, I was when I first heard the announcement, I was concerned that it might be a much more negative thing. Than it's turned out to be, and even you know, for myself, I uh, absorbed the submission costs, the entry costs from my various projects because I felt it was worth doing it to promote the work that was in them. And I feel strongly that you know, when you're an editor, you have to pro- promote the writers that you've published. So, I mean, I'm very happy with the way that's worked out. I guess to kind of move to the ballot itself a little bit, uh, I thought I might we might start by just going around the group and maybe getting maybe a very quick overall impression from you of what you thought of of the ballot when you first saw it, if anything stood out, if anything appeared to be missing maybe, and then maybe we'll go through categories. yeah. Because this, after all, is the Angela Slatter Memorial Aureola towards ballot. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, it's probably worth starting somewhere around there, but maybe to be unfair, because someone has to go first, Elisa. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, somebody has to go first, and it's not going to be me because I'm running it.
3: Yep. Um,
0: <laughs> what was what was your feeling at a glance when you looked down this year's Aurealis Ballot?
3: Okay, at a glance, I was quite interested to see how the review of Australian fiction had performed across the ballot. That's a reasonably small uh, magazine. I think it comes out monthly with just two short stories, and it tries to highlight a well-known Australian writer with a lesser or an up-and-coming writer, so it – that um, venue performed, I thought, particularly well this year. Mm-hmm. Also, interesting to note that Momentum performed really well on the, on the science fiction novel category. Momentum, I believe it's still a digital first uh, imprint. Um, so that that's quite interesting, I think. And it says, I think, quite a lot about where um, science fiction is at in Australia at the moment. Um, other than that... I was quite pleased by how many uh, women writers I know are on the ballot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's a very reasonable observation, just quickly, because I, I you know, I, I had a look, and maybe this is a, a relevant point of comparison before we move to Sean. Uh, I mean, you talk about the number of women who are on the ballot, and I look back to the first Aurealis Awards ballots by way of comparison. You know, mm. and where you look down, you know the SF novel has one woman on it. Uh, there are no women on the SF short story list. There is one woman on the fantasy novel list—something unthinkable today. Mm. You know, there are several women on the fantasy short story list. One, uh, two on the horror list. You know I mean, uh, whereas now it's overwhelmingly the other way. I mean, I mean, science, Australian science fiction has changed to the point where dark fantasy and horror are a major se- centre really in why mm. and. Yeah women have a very strong voice in that which is a wonderful thing but sean to go to you give you now a little bit more time to think about it than lisa did how about uh, setting aside maybe your own category for a second because I, don't, I think it's not really fair to have you talk about that too much <laughs> what was your overall feeling about the ballot
2: um uh, there were some surprises for me probably um in best fantasy novel and just surprises in the sense that um uh, I hadn't uh, seen a, a number of, of of the books that have been nominated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in Best Fantasy Novel, uh, just looking through that now, I'd heard of uh, Glenda Lark's uh, The Lascar's Dagger and I had actually re- read a um, a manuscript of Daughters of the Storm. Um, but yeah, and I've yeah. only just really heard of Scott Westfield's Afterworld. So that, that sort of surprised me that there weren't, other books on there that I that I had heard of, um, but that's also perhaps a a result of me being an Aurealis judge for short stories for the last three months, and not actually getting to, <laughs> to focus too much on on longer works. Um, yes, yeah, science fiction novel again. There's there's probably a few in there that um, surprised me, or like in that there aren't uh, stories that I don't know that are, or novels that were published. Uh, Last year, that uh, I would have thought would have gone in there, um, but you know, I think the rest of it looks uh, fairly healthy. I think uh, Tani was saying there was a lot of sort of cr- cross-posting, if you will, in short story categories. I, I see uh, best horror short story. There's a few there that I that I would have read for um, for my category. Yeah, um, yeah no, uh, yeah, you, you made mention of uh, quite a few uh, <laughs> female authors, particularly in my category, and. I only really realized that when we got got to the end but I thought you know it wasn't wasn't a conscious thing but um, no, I think if we extend short lists out to say ten or fifteen stories you 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 find you know a mixture of of genders there so yeah not not too much between between the the, uh, the top fifteen I suppose yeah. um yeah other than that yeah so some surprises but uh, generally, yeah, that's what I'd expect to see there, I okay. suppose
0: yeah. And how about you, Tahani? I mean, you're more intimately connected with everything, you probably hear communications from the judges, you're seeing the, the ballots evolve um, mm-hmm. what, what was your feeling about it when you got to that final, final shortlist and you could you saw it?
1: Um, well, I've got, a f- you know, there's a few things that kind of uh, surprise me a little and this is, some of it is just, you know you look at the hist- historically in the last couple of years and things like that, so Things like the graphic novel ballot, which of which I have read only Kathleen's sto- uh, work from the Monstrous Affections anthology, um, which was the only stand- non-standalone item on the ballot, which was, I thought was interesting. But there was uh, we've had Gestalt Publishing from Western Australia has been yeah. on that ballot for the last several years, and I was quite interested that they didn't um, that, it's, that it that doesn't appear again. And that's you know as it not I didn't judge that category and have had no communications with the judges yeah, of, of, that, yeah. of that obviously but it's um it's just interesting so the, the quality of those works um obviously and you know, I know how uh what the standard of Kathleen's it's is and a- assume that the rest of them on that ballot are as high so that was interesting to me um, the best anthology category uh, this is the first year for a while I think we've had a ballot that's entirely original anthologies um there's been at least the last few years have been, uh, there's been some reprint anthologies, your own Jonathan, of course, Mm -hmm. um, being being that part of those. So I thought that was an interesting change. Um, What else? Best children's fiction, as you might know, we collapsed that category from two separate, from the Told Three Words and Told Three Pictures over the last, it had been previously, and last year and, and following through to this year, it's now just one category. And we did that purely for the reason of, there were so few picture books in the genre being <laughs> like produced purely
3: because Sean Tan didn't have a new book out, <laughs> but, <laughs> but he it did, it, didn't he? I think he did because I have it, yeah.
0: Rules of Summer,
1: no, yeah, that
3: was last year, it was on last year's ballot,
0: okay,
1: yeah, yeah, the year before's ballot. So, yes, last year, I don't think so. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and so, yes, it's uh, and and it in the, the both this year's shortlist and last year's shortlist both reflect that that's probably been a good move because there's only been one picture book on both those ballots. Um, and I think that the nom- the nom- nomination numbers were so low that it was justified collapsing those into one. Um, I was a little surprised that there possibly wasn't, um, oh, there was a couple of stories from Elisa's kaleidoscope anthology that, you know, so very YA and mostly, well, there was some science fiction, but fantasy in there as well. Um, and my particular favourite's not on the ballot, but then it's just my personal preference, perhaps. <laughs> Although I do like um, the stories that are on that ballot, um, naturally. Um, and I was interested also in the, the number of uh, stories, A, that crossed categories for shortlisting. So particularly in novels, I think we saw this time. Um, or is Debbie being Cotty's. One of hers is on two ballots.
0: Yeah, the Executioner Goes Home.
1: Yeah, it's on which the horror Shop just story.
3: And fabulous, Science by the way, if you haven't read it. It's just, I love it. It's just <laughs> great. And um, also, but I'm a major no- Debbie and Cotty fangirl. Sorry, continue.
1: No, that's fine. And the novel <laughs> categories um, The Afterworlds by Scott Westfeld being on fa- Fantasy and YA. And then, interestingly, which one of, probably one of the most interesting things to me is that this Shattered World, which is the second. Um, book from Amy Kaufman and Megan Spooner is on the fantasy and the science fiction novel categories, but not the YA one, which is how it's sold. And I find that fascinating in so many ways.
0: Well, I'd say the most fascinating thing, and thank you uh, about that to me, is that it's on both the science fiction and fantasy ballots because Mm. that's an Mm. interesting Mm. crossover.
3: Isn't Uh, it just?
0: uh, For all sorts of of reasons. I mean, I, I guess my own response to the ballot to sort of, Rounded out was I mean I wasn't okay I was, a, I was struck by as you were t- Tahani the works that appeared in categories where you didn't necessarily expect them mm. I, I would have expected if you'd asked me to, to find say After by Scott Westerfeld on the ballot somewhere but probably under Best YA I'd have expected to find Razorhurst by Justine Larbaleste which is a terrific book under YA not under Best Horror
1: Oh I disagree on that one Definitely. You don't
0: think it's a YA book or you don't like it?
1: Um I well no, I really liked it, but I don't think I, I actually don't I don't feel uncomfortable with it not being on YA on the YA ballot because I didn't read it as a YA book. Ah um, though it was published as one. Yeah, but when I read it it it, it didn't have that um, you Know that YA feel sure. about it, that journey of you know, the from you know, going into adulthood sort of thing to it. It was, it was a fantastic ghost story. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: but um, I didn't, yeah, I can, I'm absolutely happy with it as a horror novel and quite, yeah, I think it's a not it doesn't. Have,
2: I'm not
0: saying it doesn't have horror elements, just that I'm surprised yeah. it wasn't in YA.
1: Yeah, no, it didn't didn't surprise me at all, actually. Yeah. No, I can see why possibly the YA judges would, much as they might have liked it, decided that it didn't yeah. fit the category as well as some of the others.
0: I mean, I was familiar with all of the fantasy novels, which surprises me because, I mean, given my reading patterns with the best of the year, I don't read a lot of novel-length fiction at the moment. Mm. Uh, I may not have read them all or read them all the way through, but I certainly was aware of them. Um, I Obviously, as, a, as my th- toss-away comment at the top of the, uh, the this this conversation sort of highlighted was aware that our friend and uh, respected writer Angela Slatter had done exceptionally well on this ballot. Several writers appear a number of times but I think she appears six times on the ballot. With three, three,
1: different, that, three different collections. Yes. Mm, and is that equaling Margot or beating Margot's record from a couple of years ago? Honestly I, I don't know.
0: I honestly don't know. <laughs> I doubt that I anybody.
3: <laughs> I'd like I du- to see what she wins though as well. I well doubt, that's right. Well yeah.
0: I think she's going to win a couple but I doubt that anybody has ever had three collections up at the same time
3: yeah that's insane no, that's, that's and insane. in fact and who, i mean who has three collections in a year seriously i was, Angela, well, Slater, Slater does, yeah. I was they,
2: gonna say that, <laughs> i
0: was gonna say that i don't think that anybody's ever had three short story collections published in australia before or any australian writers i can think of have ever come close to anything like that which is also interesting um I was a little disappointed that, that my favourite Australian fantasy short story of the, of the year didn't make the ballot. But it then tried. I think it's a, the, the Change Thing by James Bradley. But oh, okay. that's my own, you know, that, that's a matter of personal taste.
1: If we're going to talk about it, then I'm going to say that mine was Cookie Cutter Superhero. But it might have, I, I would have been quite happy for it to be in the YA category
0: too. <laughs> but that opens up a whole thing right how this is the rare in the, the 21st century Tansy Red Roberts Free Ballot. I can't, I could barely, hardly believe it. But... <laughs> Um, I'm going to set aside one thing I I don't really have any great opinion on the children's fiction, I thought that the collection overall was great, probably the the nomination there that made me personally the happiest was to see Secret Lives by Rosaline Love appear, I think Rosaline is of a generation that has been set aside over the last 15 or 20 years and it's great to see her being engaged with and brought out and actually writing new work and having people respond to it, I mean I'm sure that must be I hope a, a reaffirming thing for her
3: oh she's just so chuffed she really is she's so excited yeah. I, it's so lovely
0: and you know uh my probably the other ballot area that can that struck me struck me and that continue will continue to hold my attention in coming years and why i may end up doing something remarkably silly is the science fiction area i mean uh elisa commented <laughs> that there were three momentum titles on there mm-hmm. um i mean marianne de pierre's is probably the only author out there with a really established uh, reputation as a quality science fiction writer who's made the ballot with a novel mm-hmm. um, That, and there are many others who potentially could have but um, I'm also struck by speaking at in, you know, briefly as Locus's recommended you know, reviews editor you're looking at a group of six books where only one of them was ever sent to us for review All right. and four of them I've never heard of before Mm. And that sort of maybe says something about how those titles are getting out to the wider world. I actually think, as I kind of touched on a moment ago, that I think Australian fantasy is in great health, Australian YA is in great health, Australian dark fantasy is in fantastic health, and Australian science fiction is not.
1: It's interesting that you say that about Australian fantasy, though, because one of the things I commented on when these came out was the, uh, again, this is the the second year in a row after 18 years of there being a Voyager title on the fantasy novel list. This is the second year in a row one hasn't appeared.
0: Mm. I actually think that's a healthy thing, not because I've got Mm. anything at all or critical to say about Voyager, but because the broader array of publishers that you get involved... Mm. You know, it shows that that's kind of healthy and robust. To me, the fantasy novel length market, and when you can, and when you add in that several of the young adult novels are fantasy novels.
1: Absolutely. It's a, and and it's I a think strong also, genre for Also,
3: you're saying that Voyager isn't there, but Alan and Unwin is, Hachette is, yeah. Pan Macmillan, Penguin mm-hmm. Books, mm-hmm. and, and I mean, Harlequin. So so that's big publishers publishing fantasy broader and yeah. wider than just one publisher. And speaking so- so
0: solely from the Cood Street sort of bunker, one of my favourite novels is on a fantasy ballot one of my wife marianne who was a former former aurealis awards uh, judge uh, and editor uh, one of her favorite novels has made the list you know so i think overall it's a really healthy list i'm happy to see the mm. array of names that are there but also aware of kind of like what's missing a little bit and that's interesting too
1: mm. with the science fiction novel uh i think lynn c is that how we say it i'm not sure whether it's Lindsay. i don't know her, her, li- her nil by mouth is her debut which is yep. interesting. Um, obviously, Marianne has a history of wonderful SF behind her. Peacemaker mm-hmm. is is still a different type of book from her Sentence of Orion Quartet, which did I think win the, at least one Aurealis award. Yeah, the
3: num- yeah w- I think the final one that I was that was my third panel. I remember <laughs> we you were yeah, on three we, then. <laughs> I was on three. Yeah, we gave it to the fourth one. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's and you know I said before about the genre bending stuff that uh, and in Australia we're quite it's quite known that we do this so to look at some of that and I wonder, you know, I mean obviously this shattered world has that, <laughs> you know, it, who, apparently we don't know whether it's science fiction or fantasy. Um, but I haven't read, other than Peacemaker, I haven't read the others myself. Yeah. Sean, have you yeah. read any of those?
2: I've actually got... read none of them. I've read none of them. <laughs> so
1: busy reading fantasy short stories. <laughs> that's my excuse. yep,
0: that's it. <laughs> I mean, I will say that. I mean, I think the whole genre bending thing is such a common thing internationally now that it almost goes without comment. And I mean, mm. Australia is no different from anywhere else in that regard. Um, so but it's a not. Lot
1: of Australian, a lot of Australian authors still talk about the difficulty of selling their works internationally because of those
0: elements, though. I would be surprised if there was much substance to that i don't think it's the i mean i don't think you can look around and see cameron hurley writing i don't think you can look around and see uh anyone of a bunch of people writing at the moment and suggest that there's anything unusual about gender blending or genre blending um so then or it's gender, a matter of, or, gender or gender blending, blending. uh <laughs> but and given that which i believe to be true pretty much uniformly in the genre today then it's what are those other elements that might be barriers to them getting published? I mean, I had a conversation recently where we're touching on the difficulty of selling Australian settings outside the country. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a factor. And I think there's still, even given the changes to uh, communications technology, an enormous barrier that Australian writers face getting their work out to a broader marketplace just because they don't have the contacts and the connections to help sell it. And I think yeah. those are much bigger factors than anything to do with gender uh, genre blending.
3: Yeah, I would agree. You yeah, know,
0: I mean, this is this is one of the great changes, if you like, in the background. And I think it's actually probably, though I've never thought about it till this moment or attempted to map it uh, consistent. Uh, Australia's success overseas with mm-hmm. fantasy has to some degree paralleled its um, blossoming attendance at events like World Fantasy Convention. Where you find writers suddenly getting to meet their agents and meeting agents and meeting editors and publishers and getting a chance to uh, sell their works. And I can tell you, I mean, last year when I was in Washington, D.C. for World Fantasy, I could look around and see, I mean, sitting in the bar and there's, you know, writer X unnamed sitting with her American agent and her American publisher talking about her book publishing career. And there were several instances like that. And that wasn't like that 10 years ago. So, you know, I think really finding ways to overcome those barriers will be a great service. And I think actually things like the Orioles Awards help. I mean, they, they gain the attention of, of editors and publishers. I mean, the, I was talking to, it was a reading piece by uh, Cameron Hurley talking about the dollar value of a Hugo Award win because, mm. you know, we t- we've, well, I've had many conversations over the years as to whether awards help sell books or not, and there is some great debate over this issue. And she was pretty unequivocal that she felt that she had had much greater success and had achieved commercial benefit because she had uh, won. And I have very little doubt that a credible, substantial, ongoing award like the Aurealis Awards contributes to how overseas... Uh, Editors and publishers feel about Reading and acquiring books by Any given Australian writer
3: and yeah. I think also speaking speaking to that, Jonathan, is that if you're building a career, you cannot look at a two or three year period where you couldn't sell a story and say that I can't sell a story. I think that real careers take 10 to 15 or even 20 years to build sure. as a writer. And it's not just about selling one book or, or one story. And, you know, you've got to look at it as a long term career like you would anything else. Sure,
0: mm. Absolutely. So, I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, I don't know if we should actually go down and read through the ballot. Uh, but um, maybe just quickly, I mean, I'll link to the ballot because it's been out for a few days. In each category, if there's anything else to touch on maybe that you wanted to say about, say, your best fantasy novel I mean, for me, I'm most probably delighted to see Glenda Lark's book, The Lascar's D- Dagger on it. Mm-hmm. I mean, partly because, hey, she's a West Australian now, and so <laughs> she's, she's, she's one of us, and because, you know, for years she's been writing substantial fantasy novels, and every time she gets recognised, I think it's a wonderful
3: thing. And I think nice. she's actually yet to win an award. What, at all? Yeah. She's a, she's always the bridesmaid. Yeah. And she yeah. that's an established writer with a serious career and she's yet to win an award. And, which, an, and know, an
1: international an international career. It's not just the local. You yeah. know, she sells internationally um, and sells very well internationally. Yeah. In and,
3: and I'm also happy to see Juliette Merilier there, another fellow WA, sure. really lovely lady. And so I love it when she gets some accolades. Well, I, mean, I, I, also, was, sorry, yes. I I also really
1: like that Daughters of the Storm is on there because I've been waiting for that book for so long, <laughs> Jonathan, and it's your fault that I've been waiting for that book Why? for so long. How do I have you, any
0: connection you, to you, that?
1: You, I'm sure you published the novella, wasn't that? You, oh, yes. You, oh, you yeah, mean the Legends of Australian legends Fantasy? Legends of Australian Fantasy. And that, how many years ago was that, Jonathan? That oh, you published the novella set f- in this world that I have been waiting for for that long. <laughs> well, that's an so, interesting.
0: I didn't even realise that's what it was.
1: Yeah, Well. So that's... That 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 novel, because that book that you published was supposed to be novellas set in the author's world. Yes. And I've assumed previously published worlds, but apparently it wasn't at the time. No. <laughs> so,
3: but yes, it was also it was worth the wait. Let's say that. Anyway. Well,
0: it's it's now uh, my favourite for interestingly,
3: <laughs> interestingly published by Harlequin Enterprises, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very but it, yeah. And that's a, I think that's their first fantasy, Australian
1: fantasy novel that they would have produced.
0: Yeah, but quite well I,
1: marketed, really. For.
2: Yep. No, I was I was just going to jump in there and say that um, when I read the manuscript of Daughters of the Storm, that that book scared me. I thought it was that. Um, that well written you know mm. just had me on the edge of my seat so not having read it in the other books um i'm, I'm going to predict that one's going to win <laughs> 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 because it was so good obviously but no it's good to see it on there actually yeah.
0: and also to hark back i'm pleased to you know, to do, do a quick calculation and see that with six novels on the list there are five different publishers recommend you know represented Mm. Which I think is a great thing, uh, and I mean, again, I think it's actually a good thing that it's not the Hyper Voyager Memorial Award. I'm sure there will be Voyager books up in in coming years, but I think it's a great thing that that's like that.
1: And we- I also like that there's a bit of sorry, a bit of variety oh. in the type of book as well. Because Fireborn by Kerry Arthur is a paranormal or urban fantasy. Um, you've got that, you know, sh- my sh- the Shattered World, which is and Afterworlds, which have that YA element. I think Dreamer's Pool as well was or was it no it wasn't dreamers pool it was ya it was another mate, julia After,
0: yeah afterwards uh, but yeah, yeah
1: but afterworlds is certainly was obviously marketed of ya and um then and and also afterworlds being a different type of fantasy again so i like that there's a, there's a bit of variety on the of the type of fantasy novel as well which is always nice
0: very true now in the best fantasy short story category uh i mean apart from the fact that it's you know, we, we see Angela Slatter appearing twice. I guess the thing that, stri- that strikes me not only is that there are five different publication venues, but you begin to see an important change in Australian in Australian you know, genre over the last decade or more, and that is the variety of places they're published. Mm. You know, you're seeing Thorea Dyer showing up in Long Hidden, which is a crowd funded anthology that came out. You're seeing Deborah Kalen showing up in Cemetery Dance, which is a great thing. You know, you've got Charlotte Nash in Your Fantazine, uh, Tahani, and congratulations mm-hmm. on your nomination further down. Thank you. Uh, and then Angela Slater showing up, you know, ubiquitously as she will for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, th- that I think is a great thing to see. Um,
1: and a lot more international publications as well in all the yeah. short story yeah.
0: lists. So, so I think that was a good thing. Any other observations from anybody? No. no? Yes. Okay. Well, and
1: this is this is Sean's category, so it's probably. Yeah, we we'll might. just move along and
0: just say, <laughs> say say well done. And if you read one hundred and ninety-seven thousand stories, then you know I feel your pain. <laughs> <laughs> you know that small tiny subset of what the re- what, I, what I look at every day. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then of course, best science fiction novel, which I've already kind of spoken about a little bit which is a you know a very interesting category i mean it's interesting to see momentum a digital only publisher do as well as it has um and you know i'm curious as to what other science fiction novels really were out there to be considered i mean i guess there was you know there was sean williams's novel uh Cra- Crashland, crash land uh, at crash and, and um I don't think Greg Egan had a novel out. I think that was the previous year. And even if he did, I think he years ago withdrew himself permanently. So that's a moot point. But, you know, it's, yes, interesting. Uh, I mean, any observations other than those we've shared before on this category?
1: It occurs to me um, there's a lot more... Well, I talked about this on Twitter a little while ago. There's a lot more uh, fantasy for young people than there is science fiction. And I wonder how much that impacts upon adult science fiction a market but even in this area the these sort of short lists because we often see young adult novels on the fantasy ballot but we rarely see a science fiction novel for young people on the science fiction ballot um and so i'm interested in is it is the fact that we don't have as much available for young readers in the science fiction field as we do in fantasy impacting upon how much we see for adult readers as well as impacting on what we see on these ballots because there's just not as much published in all those
0: areas. I don't know. I mean, I, I think about... Sorry, you, go ahead, Lisa.
3: I, I, uh, I, I was not really having an opinion. I think that probably big publishers would be looking to be replicating whatever it is that's been a big seller and it, recently I think that's probably been um, fantasy, but I don't know if you would call Hunger Games fantasy. I don't know if you'd call... Um, the other great big one that I haven't read, so I can't remember its name. Fantasy. Uh, uh, I don't. TV know series
0: one. or a novel series? No
3: novels. Yeah. I, I yeah. certainly
1: wouldn't
0: call Hunger Games fantasy. No, that's no. me.
1: Well, but but then I think we've also seen since the Hunger Games sort of, and even a bit before that, is the dystopia has become much mm. more prevalent, um, and a lot of readers don't necessarily feel dystopia is science fiction, even though. It, broadly, obviously, it is. Okay. So maybe that it's, you know, we are seeing science fiction, but not as
0: we know it. Well, also I wonder if we're actually sort of keeping track of it as closely as we could, because one title that crossed my mind was Confusion of Princes by Garth Nix, which was that a was YA science fiction, big. and that was an Aurealis Award nominee for Best yeah. Science Fiction Novel. Mm, that's you know. true. Uh, I'm also, now that I look briefly, I'm interested to see that this is Nina D'Alio's second or third Best Science Fiction Novel nomination. Mm-hmm. Mm. Which is, is interesting to me.
3: And also- I
1: can give you some, some um, information. We had 39 entries in the science fiction novel category.
3: Yep. Yeah, right. Uh, so that's certainly increasing over time.
1: But I think the increases were mostly uh, probably in self published, which is not a negative necessarily because no. obviously last year we had this, uh, the winner of the fantasy novel category was a self published book and we've had other self published works over the last few years. But um, whether that
3: but- speaks to what big publishers are buying. If they're not buying science fiction and you're writing science fiction, do you then self-publish? Yeah. Like, is that what we're seeing?
1: Well, there was a science, there was a Harper book entered in that category. Um, there was a few from the smaller publishers, and yeah, we had a, a a Fremantle Press and a Walker Books, but a couple quite a few second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth books in series, which can also. Uh, not that those, Not that series books aren't on shortlists, because they often are, and obviously This Shattered World is a series book in itself, but sometimes that does impact on how readable they are as a standalone, and the books do have to stand alone. So yep. that could be an impact as well.
0: Okay. Now, Best Science Fiction Story is also interesting. I mean, you've got five different venues. Uh, you've got a story published in uh, the United States, a story published in Canada. Uh, you've got one published, I, I don't know whether Peggy Bright is digital only at the moment? Uh, no, they do. Okay. They
1: are, yeah, they are doing print,
0: yeah. So, but from a short story collection, you've got a, a story from an anthology, and you've got a story from the Review of Australian Science Fiction, which is online only. So there's a real mm. you know, breadth of, of work, and I think in a bit of a breadth of, of fresh air from my point of view, seeing someone like Thorea Ther- Ther- Dyer showing up in analogue, I, th- yeah. I think is a great thing. I was yep. delighted to see it when it happened, and I'm very pleased to see her being you know, recognized because she's written some great science fiction stories over the last five or six years or so. Mm-hmm. So, uh, And of course, as you say, the ubiquitously wonderful Deborah Coddy with a story that you adored and that I liked. Um,
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sorry, but you were wrong <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, look, hey, 27 judges or however many thought you agree with you You know, I mean, it's some number like that, isn't it's it? It's only,
1: only four judges per panel issue so.
0: <laughs> But then you've got two, two panels who've agreed yes. about that story So, you know, there's at least eight people who agreed with Elisa over me And not that um, I wouldn't have put it on the ballot, just it wasn't my yeah. absolute favourite story uh-huh. Any other? Do you have any observations or feelings about the science fiction short story ballot?
1: Alisa, wasn't um, you've got the female factory on the anthology ballot? Uh, I had,
3: <laughs> uh, and Secret Lives of of books as well was also science fiction, um, and so both of those have made
1: the anthology ballot, and yeah. yet yep. not the science fiction ballot, which is yep. interesting. Well,
3: I think and that I happens, think happens also yeah, yeah, you have different judges judging the books, and you can't. I, I, it's a crapshoot, as as Angela says, you can't know what the taste of those five people is going to be, and they aren't... It's not ubiquitous. Taste is subjective, so, you know.
0: And and also, I mean, I could imagine theoretically that if you have a four-story short story story collection and everybody votes on all of the short stories, and it may be that your four stories were number six, seven, eight, nine. And that's That's why it seemed, like, strong enough to make, you know, to be on the ballot as a short story collection. And also, I mean, I have this long-held view that short story collections, when they're done properly, are their own thing mm. their own entity and mm. have their own impact on you as a reader which yeah. you know i think is important and may have affected this
3: uh, and certainly if you look at the female factory i think that is four very strong stories but i think when you read them as four stories together they are much bigger sum of the whole than they are individually and so i think the whole book can be very empower, you know powering but but maybe it didn't appeal um, maybe their criteria for science fiction was different. You know, you, ca- you can't really, unless sure. you know what the criteria was that they were judging, you can't really, yeah. you know, make any conclusions.
0: And Tahani, I mean, if we're going to maybe move on to best horror novel for a second, I did want to ask you, unless anybody's got anything else to say about science fiction short stories? Yep.
2: yep you do? Just, okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, just a couple of a couple of things. Um, yeah, no, I, it was the first time I came across uh, Charlotte Nash this year, uh, was with that story, Dellinger. Um, and yeah, no, it was good to see her sort of uh, in both uh, the fantasy short story and in science fiction, sort of very broad skill uh, there in in her writing. Uh, that that um, was a delight delightful find. But also Garth Nix's Happy Go Lucky, and I'm pretty sure I've got the right stories. Um, it's a long time ago that I read Kaleidoscope, it seems. <laughs> um, but it's it to me, it's it's like that traditional. Um, role of the, the science fiction short story to, to look at uh, perhaps current events and mm. extrapolate, talk about, uh, because it's one about um, refugees, isn't it, Lisa? I'm, I'm uh, remembering I think, the right story. Yeah, yeah,
3: this story, it blew me away with its very, very clear commentary on this this government and last government's policy of asylum seekers, without a doubt, and using a science fictional setting. And I, I was blown mm. away by how strong it was. So, yeah, it's it's a commentary on current affairs in Australia.
2: Yeah, so I thought that was that was nice to see that, that is sort of vein of of science fiction coming back in again. So,
0: yeah, excellent. Uh, um, Tahani, mm-hmm. I was going to say, it's always seemed to me throughout all my awareness of the Aurealis Awards that there has always been a well, there has often been some difficulty finding a lot of horror novels to nominate. Uh, was that true this year?
1: Yeah. It's always true. Um, We had 17 entries this year, which, as I said, science science fiction had 39, YA was 59 and fantasy was off my list there, 69. So it's the smallest category by far for the novels and a lot lot of the difficulty comes from for the judges in general and not just this year. This is over my experience with the awards so far is the definition of what is horror. And I think it's even more slippery than any of the other categories. Um, we often argue about what is YA and we argue about um, what, what constitutes fantasy and all that sort of stuff, but horror is hard. Um, and I think that that becomes difficult for judges to agree on what is what, looks, what should be on shortlists, even when given strong works uh, as entries. So traditionally, it's a, it's a much shorter shortlist. And again, we see that this year and... Partly it's because we, the entries just aren't there, and partly it is because it's a really difficult beast yeah. to define. Um, and I think also it's one of those things where it's hard to get judges <laughs> for that category. And I, it, like, our judges this year done a beautiful job, but it is because in Australia we are that you know that very incestuous community as we all know. Um, but it's a a lot most people who who would be very good at judging horror, are writing it. Yeah. And by obviously you cannot be a judge in a category that your work is entered in. Um, so if they want to enter their work, they can't judge it. And that leaves us at a bit of a loss sometimes of, of who we can ask to do that, that job, which makes it even ta- more challenging.
0: I can well understand. I mean, I will say, I, I, as I say, I don't read many novels in a given year, for, even though I'd, I would like to. And RazorHurst is one of the ones that I've read. And I loved it. I thought it was a terrific book and one of the best things Justine's done. So mm. I was pleased and delighted to see it there but I you know I I appreciate the challenge both in finding judges and in finding works. Uh, I mean horror is you know perhaps not doing as well commercially overall as it has in the past though there are exceptions always. And so you see fewer Novels published. Uh, I mean, I'd thought of Obsidian, which I'm sure has horror elements. And I don't doubt that for a second. As a, which is the Alan Baxter novel, as being originally marketed as a dark fantasy rather than horror. So it's interesting to see it show up here. I mean, there's obviously a close relationship between the two, but interesting that that that, that that's what happened.
1: And traditionally, we've had a lot of those sort of books entered in yeah. the horror category. So I think this might be one of the first ones that has been marketed as urban fantasy that's actually made it on the horror ballot. I may be wrong on that, but um, I think, again, we look at that broad definition of genre and yeah. what that means.
3: <laughs> and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but two out of those three books are digital-only publishing published?
0: I think so.
1: Originally digital-only, yes. I'm yes. not sure if either of them have either of the uh, – uh, um, yeah, I think it might be. Yeah. Or audio and and digital, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, uh, of course, this is that that unfortunate rare year where, where we have neither a Kristen McDermott nor a Karen Warren novel to put in that list, which would fill it out because they are two of our. Or even a Margaret yeah, I mean, Lannigan. Well, Mar- Margaret too. I mean, for, for all, it's interesting how we all think about these things, and there are all kinds of subconscious prejudices we all con- constantly deal with. I wouldn't have especially thought of her as a horror novelist. So there you go. That's just what my own. scare
1: the bejesus out of me. <laughs> and a short I,
0: stories sure. oh my gosh <laughs> yes which just goes to show how we th- we think about things <laughs> horror short story is interesting for me because i'd actually i've read most i would read in fact like all of the nominees and certainly three of them were in, on my own short list for my best of the year even though i don't include horror and one of them's in my best of the year even though i don't include horror <laughs> uh so i mean i love Shay caution worsted by garth nix from ellen datler's fearsome cemetery symmetries which I think is a great story and one, a, very unusual for Garth to be writing horror at all. And so a really, really interesting story. I love James Bradley's skin, skin suit and I loved Home and Hearth by Angela Slatter. I really like Debbie and Cotty's story and I also really like Chris McDermott's story. I think it's a great ballad. And I haven't
3: read any
1: of Oh, no, I have.
3: No, I haven't. I haven't read any of them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the think. McDermott's the only one I haven't read off that list. yes. Um, I'm pretty sure I put forward the Home and Hearth for the Locust. Yes. I, think I quite liked that one, and obviously I like the Biancotti, so... Yeah. Yeah, but that's pretty obvious that that's going to be my taste. <laughs> Sean,
2: anything, any comments, or...? Yeah, I was going to say, I think I've read three of them. I'm not too sure about the to McDermott, um, but definitely James Bradley's and um, Deb's story there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I think that you can place them in um two categories at least, I think, and possibly even uh, uh three, but um yeah, certainly th- there's horror elements uh in in both of those. Um skin suit and the executioner goes home, but um yeah, uh, as as we've been saying, there's there's a fair bit of movement um between categories. Yeah. Um but yeah, no, I I've, I've got nothing uh, else to add to that, so
0: <laughs> okay, well, Best Young Adult Novel as um, a category I'm delighted with, partly because it has one of my very favourite novels of the year on it, uh, Clary by Bergarth Nix, the fourth Old Kingdom novel, which I read just before Christmas and think is stunning. I think it's a great book, and I'm delighted to see it there. I think it's uh, a wonderful pendant to the rest of the uh, Old Kingdom series. And, I mean, my wife Marianne has been at me to read Jacqueline Moriarty's series for ages and says that The Cracks in the Kingdom is brilliant. Um... Other than that, I mean, it looks like a a fantastic ballot to me.
3: This is the first year
1: in such a... Sorry, I'm going to jump in. It's the first year in such a long time that I have not read everything on the young adult novel because I haven't judged a category. uh, I've been doing CBCA judging and all sorts of stuff. Normally, I've read them all. I haven't read anything except Afterworlds this time. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm feeling really... It's quite off-putting not to know what these (laughs) books are. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I have read the first of the Jacqueline Righty, um the first book in that series, which I absolutely loved. That was a, something of white. Yes. Um, yeah, and it was, it was fabulous. Um, and obviously, I mean, you know, I've read a fair bit of Garth but I haven't got to Clariel yet. So, what? and I've, I've heard really good things about so many of these books, and yet just have not got to them. I think I'm having a, a, a YA break.
0: That's ah, what it feels well, like. <laughs> in a nice just bit of synchronicity to to add on the very first Aurealis Awards ballot, the winner for best best uh, not fantasy novel overall was Sabriel.
3: <laughs> ah, um, and
1: that beat and that beat um, Sarah Douglas's Battleaxe, which was obviously as we know Harper Voyager's uh, launch book for the yes, Voyager line, um, which is twenty years old this year.
0: Yes. So, so it just goes to show how these things mm. cycle around.
1: Mm-hmm. I
2: feel so old. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I, I, that a Battle Axe is one of those books that got me into this scene in the first place. When I ran out of all of the well-known international fantasy books that I was reading at the time, that was what I found on a bookshelf and that's what g- cooked me.
0: There you go. Mm. And so, I mean, any other comments on the on the? Young adult novel ballot.
3: Uh, I'm sad to see Sean Williams cl- uh, cl- crash. Not there. Yeah. I really enjoyed uh, I,
0: that. Yeah, I would share that. I, I, I actually, again, I, I, I don't even necessarily uniformly like a good person to read books by friends, but I've read and loved you know, that series as well. So I, I was, I was taken aback. I thought it would be there, but obviously we don't know what else was like almost on the ballot, as you said in other categories, Lisa. Mm. So. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, young adult short story is a really interesting category to me again there's a real there's, there, you know, there's obviously a strong representation from kaleidoscope which we you know it's a pretty good anthology really you know on balance
2: <laughs>
0: i'm really interested to see uh david cornish show up he wrote for legends of australian fantasy which you were talking about earlier uh mm-hmm. tahani and is actually probably in some ways slightly underappreciated as a good short story writer so i was happy to see that obviously that relates to his uh, Lamplighter, I think it is, series.
3: Mm, and very popular as a as yeah. novelist. Obviously. Yes. Uh, DM, most people might know him as DM Cornish. Yes, yes that's what yeah. I was trying to remember. I think I read mm. the first one in that. Yeah, yeah, and I'm pretty sure I've read this for our year's best.
0: Yeah. You would have, yeah. I'm also yeah. tickled to see Liz Argall, my very fav- yes. my favorite roller skater uh, on the list. <laughs> or is this, isn't she a Roller Derby Girl now?
3: She is now a Roller Derby Girl, yes. There you go. Wow. Is,
0: is that the right description, Roller Derby Girl no, or is Roller Derby it's Woman? Probably
3: not. I don't know roller roll derby, derby person. Roller derby person. <laughs> a, well, yeah, they're all girls, aren't they?
0: Yes.
1: <laughs> well, it's one of those few sports that's only played by women.
0: We won't hypothesise why. <laughs> <laughs> but no, and nice to see Dirk Fl- Flintheart appearing. Um, you know, he was winding me up on Facebook a minute ago, so I'm happy to see him on the ballot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mean, overall, a, a very strong ballot. The
1: uh, In Hades by Goldie Alexander, as I understand it, is a verse novel.
0: Oh, well. Excellent.
1: Which has appeared in short story because of the word count, I should add, because I think it was originally entered as a novel. Okay. Um, but it's, uh, the judges being that it was the, we, this is one of the things we can do, which is put things in the right category if we have to. Um, but it was entered as a novel because it's a standalone book, but the word count puts it
0: as a short story. Excellent. Um, unless there are any other comments I have no comments really on best children's fiction because I haven't read any of it Tahani is there anything you can tell us about it
1: no because again I'm, I'm having that little break that I've been having from the children's <laughs> <and> my <laughs> I, have, I mean I love I do I have read The Last Viking Returns I'm a huge fan of those books um, absolutely love them and think they're fabulous so I was really pleased to see that as the one picture book on the list and I have read the first hidden book by Leanne Tanner Um, And I would absolutely, without a doubt, assume it's of the same high quality as her previous books, which have won several Aurealis Awards before. Um, And and the Brother Band series, again, it's appeared here before, as have many John Flanagan books. So it doesn't surprise me, Um, nor does the Carol Wilkinson. However, I have not have had come across at all Ophelia or Withering by Sea which I will now get a hold of because if they're on a ballot with the quality of the other books then I think they need to be read
0: excellent then that would take us pretty much directly to Best Collection, which is one that I've always been interested in over the years. I've got ridiculously strong opinions about short story collections. Mm-hmm. Um, a 12th Planet Press, comparatively speaking, dominated title. You, you and Ticonderoga kind of arm wrestle through it um, with f- The Female Factory, Secret uh, Lives, the Ian McHugh collection. Uh, Angela Slatter's very, very well received The Bitterwood Bible, uh, which follows up, I think it's a, it's a follow-up to a World Fantasy Award-nominated collection. And it seems to be a really, really interesting, substantial ballot.
3: I think that this really speaks to the breadth and depth of Angela Slater in this category and what she's doing at the moment, which I find really, really interesting. You would normally say writing this much fiction would just be completely overexposed, far too... um, Mm far too verbose and you, that you would be splitting your quality of fiction across too many short stories. Um, Angela says, no, that is just not true. Suck it up, flints away. <laughs> Put in good, strong work and, and the rewards will come. So, yeah, I think um, she's really interesting to watch, I think, online. You can see that she is constantly writing and she is constantly applying herself uh, with great vigour and great determination. And so I'm quite pleased to see that that actually, you know, is is – pays off.
0: Even though this isn't a popular vote, do you think there's a risk she will split her own vote? No. Okay. Well, I'd be interested in to see <laughs> Anybody else got any other comments or shall we forge on as we're nearly um, complete?
1: It was actually an interesting year for collections. Um, that I think there was quite a lot, well, not quite a lot, there was fewer collections published this year then, like la, uh, the two thousand and thirteen ballot was, a, the, the entries were astonishingly strong. There was huge. It was a big number, mm. um, and I think this year there was a smaller number, but it was um, the, there's such a, a strong number being published. Some interesting. And would you I say mean, these was, are
3: all uh, original. These are all original collections, aren't they? These aren't reprints.
1: Uh, Blackwinged is, Angels is reprints. Ah, okay. Um, I believe the rest, I'm not sure about Angel Dusty and McHugh might, I don't, I don't believe that's original, all original, it may have original work in it, but I don't think it was all original. Okay. Um, so yeah, uh, but there was, there was some other ones, um, some other uh, ca- collections that were entered that I- interesting, perhaps that they weren't there, but I haven't read them all, just going on what I know of the writer this, yeah, it was interesting. Then. I'm not going to say which ones
0: <laughs> sorry yeah. do we have any other comments
2: I was just going to say that um, Angel Dust was a, a, an interesting discovery for me I don't think I'd come across Ian McHugh's work before and um, yeah so that reading that this year was um, was good because I I'd, I'd found another writer that I thought you know was producing um, really interesting work so um yeah, and unfortunately, I haven't read uh, The Female Factory or Secret Lies, both on the desk to read. So, um, And I won't say much else because I think I've... Uh, stories in some of those collections I've, I've uh, been a judge on in the other yeah. c- category. So, yeah. But, yeah, no, that's it from me on that category.
0: Okay. Now we move on to my very favourite personal category. The best <laughs> anthology category. I've got no real reason for it. it's my best, my most most favourite category. But still, I, I I honestly don't know really what to say about the category other than it's nice to see such a strong group of books out there, and that they are a subset of an of, of an even greater strong set of books. Um, my as I've said earlier, my sincere you know, congratulations to you, Tahani, and of course, Elisa, to you for you know a book that you already know my opinion about. <laughs>
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jonathan was at my house last night, so I heard it in detail. <laughs> uh, I got my scorecard and my appraisal elsewhere. Um, <laughs> well, um, it's a very strong category, and I think that's really exciting. I think it's that's not always been the case. Would you agree, Jonathan?
0: I think you know. It, well, okay. Sp- given that I won the first four years, I don't know that I want to agree. But yeah, I think sometimes it's it's stronger and weaker. I think the overall. Cl- quality of collection of anthologies has improved. Yes. I think there are all sorts of reasons for it. I think one of them is that there is now a established group of anthologists working in Australia and they have edited a handful of books and they're becoming more skilled at what they're doing themselves at the same time as the Australian short fiction writing community continues to grow and mature. So there's more work for them to pick, there's more people editing and compiling them, and it results in something like this where you get you know a series of strong books co- uh, put together on one ballot.
3: Um, following on from that, though, um, your two books would have international authors. They do mine has international authors would i be right in saying i haven't read amok but would i be right in saying that also has Absolutely, international yeah. so yeah. and so, so is fantasy so the fantasy so this is probably an interesting category in that we've got australian um editors who are able to access and attract overseas authors now to our books as well That's
0: true mm. i think it also begs a very interesting question that would that i would put to the jurors in the category if they were here and i know they're not and i wouldn't ask you particularly to comment on their behalf to honey because i don't think that's fair but Mm -hmm. um are we recognizing the australianness of the fiction or the work done by the editors who compiled those books you know reach for infinity which is one of my books i don't think has an australian writer in it if i recall fearsome magic has three or four
1: well the the category is because all i mean the short, the stories themselves if mm. they're eligible are able yeah. to recognize another category so the category is for the editors essentially yeah. um yeah. and the publishers to to see you know this is this is where we see where the strongest collection the strongest anthologies and the strongest collections are being put together so <laughs> of the entries that are being that are made this is supposed to be for the ones that, uh, as a whole, work the best. So, in a
0: what? weird way, is this the only not uh, only category of the Aurealis Awards that's not a fiction category?
3: Well, well I mean, that's an interesting fi- way of putting it.
0: Yeah, it's, it's an still editing still category, fiction. isn't
3: it? Yeah, and I th- I think it's quite funny. I'm laughing because um, I'm collecting data for my my PhD, and I've got a page in my Excel document that's like I don't know where to put this stuff, and it's basically <laughs> everything that you've edited. Cause I don't really I don't know where to put you in the whole context of Australian fiction, and yet editors have so much power in driving. Uh, what's out there. For example, I mean, The Secret Lives of Books would not have been written if I hadn't knocked on Rosaline's door and yeah. made her write books, right? Yeah. So, made her write stories. So, that fiction is, is now out there and it's part of our, our contextual landscape. So, I mean, I think in some ways what the editors in the country are doing is an interesting thing to look at and explore and evaluate.
0: I think and it's right. worth
3: mentioning. You talked. You said how you won the first four
1: years, Jonathan. And the award has only been in existence since two thousand and eight. So it's one. It's our new, nearly our newest category. Did it come in at the same time? It was annual, as
3: yeah.
1: Graphic novel. Yeah. When did graphic mm. novel come in? Yeah, they both were in, in, introduced in two thousand and eight. The graphic, uh, the illustrated work and anthology categories. So, and collections as well.
0: I yeah. think. And I even may even exaggerate. Yeah. I mean, I think it was actually just the first three years. So.
1: I think it was four. I think you carried yourself. With I the, think you... No. Oh, no, sorry. Tight. No, Jack Dan won
0: the fourth year. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but even so, I mean, not to sort of be glib about that. But, I mean, yeah. look, it's an interesting thing and something perhaps to discuss somewhere else about how this stuff fits in and how we assess it because I think it's a great category. And I'm, actually, not many awards have an anthology category or a collection category, so I'm delighted that the Aurealis Awards do. And
1: yeah. we, we get enough entries every year to justify it. Oh, also, this year was the first year we've opened up again since I think the first or second year it was op- it was created. We opened it up again and said, no, individual issues of magazines are mm-hmm. now eligible. Um, again, because what well, they were initially in the early years, I think it was the first year I was judging or second year I was judging, um, and they had originally had them as eligible and then the judges, the feedback was that they weren't standing up and yet... There have been over the years individual issues of m- magazines that are very strongly themed and work very well as a whole, um, and so we thought, well, it, there's no need to exclude them if they're willing, if they want to enter, then they can. Yep. Excellent. Um, and also, we had this year, I think, our f- first poetry anthology entered as well. Wow. Um, which was interesting. Which I think Sean was probably in.
2: Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well unless there's something else well, we might there you might just go on to the best graphic novel illustrated work category about which in this case i've got very little to say other than i loved kathleen jennings piece and that i th- i thought maybe there was a second volume of the deep that was eligible which was yes you
1: know. that was a gestalt one which is as i said i was a little surprised that it's mm. not on the list yeah. but i don't know what the judges uh ad- workings were on no. that <laughs> but i will
0: be looking forward to hunting some of this stuff down because it looks interesting mm. so mm. So I guess what collectively then maybe, unless oh, there's something else to say about that category, overall an interesting, robust category at a time when the awards seem to be doing really well and the field here seems to be doing really well. I think so. Yeah. Mm. And, and a, a pretty good guide for someone outside the country who wants to learn about Australian science fiction, fantasy and horror to come along and dip in through this as, as a gateway into uh, the work that's being done in this country.
1: Definitely, um, it's one I recommend all the time to people. Um, so yeah, definitely.
0: And since we're all virtually at the end of of our discussion and, and you know, aren't yet waiting for next year's ballot, <laughs> um, <laughs> because this stuff is inevitably inexorable. Are there any other exciting new things coming up with the Arialis Awards, Tahani?
1: Uh, I can confirm that Canberra will, is after hosting for two years, will no longer be hosting the awards next year. That's Conflux Incorporated. I cannot yet confirm who is taking it on, even though I believe it's settled. It's not formally announced. Okay.
0: <laughs> so. Well, I, sh- I shall hope, for, for, from purely selfish reasons, that it's somewhere that I can I can actually go to, because sadly, I've never attended an Arialis Awards ceremony. What? Never, no.
3: That's oh, no, outrageous.
1: I, I lie.
0: No, I lie. Especially
1: Uh, when you won the Conveners Award last year, which we didn't talk about because it wasn't released as a shortlist. And
0: and Locust didn't even count it as an Aurealis Award win, so there you go. I know. um, Yeah,
3: I don't think that Peter McNamara is there either.
0: They left it off the ballot and all kinds of things. But um, setting aside that horrible slight they did to me... um, (laughs) (laughs) And with no bitterness to carry on. No bitterness at all. Not here live on the Goode Street podcast. Um, I was going to say that I think you're sort of... It will be really interesting to see how the award continues next year as it moves into its third decade. And I'll, I'll, from, you know, from what you're saying prior to us, that you'll be continuing in an administrative role, even if it does change and sort of head elsewhere.
1: Yes, yeah, so I was judging coordinator for Spec Faction in New South Wales and moved with Canberra and hopefully will continue to its new home.
0: Magic. And I guess we should start looking out for the announcement of a slate of judges at some point soon.
1: Yes, and anyone is welcome to apply to be a judge. We encourage people from all different um, walks of life, essentially. And the only criteria, and Elisa mentioned this earlier, is that we actually have now limited it to Australian judges, um, although the, it's not as necessary these days because there's less and less postage, but we still feel that the Australian context is really important to a judging panel.
3: And okay. I, on that, I might say that I highly recommend doing a turn as a judge on an Oriolis pa- panel, just to see how judging works, just to see what it's like to look at a whole um, category of fiction in the country in one year published and how we rank that. I think it's a really interesting process and it teaches you a lot about um, awards and about how to feel about awards afterwards.
1: Yeah. And I'd say don't just do it once. Do it more than once on a different panel because <laughs> it'll be a different experience.
3: <laughs> some judges will be nicer to you than others will i'd also say but your judging coordinator will always be lovely
0: I'd, i would also say don't discount yourself uh, a as lot of a people judge. i've spoken yeah as a judge i've spoken to lots of people who say oh well i'm not well enough read whatever else my rule yeah. of thumb would be if you read and if you think about what you read then you're qualified to stick your hand up to do this
3: and, and the beauty of it is, is you do you- Yeah, you only have to read everything that's eligible in that year and judge it all against each other. So you sign up and then you will be um, eligible because you'll have read everything that year.
0: And then you will become one of those terrible gatekeepers.
1: Yeah, but you'll be more expert than most people in the field. It's true. On it's that true.
3: particular
0: category. So, yeah. Mm. Yep. Um, and well, with that, sherry note, and with the advice that if you want to see the full ballot at www.orealisawards.org, link with the podcast, and with the announcement that, you know, there is you know plenty of time, though, you should rush to run off and buy your tickets to attend the Canberra you know, event where it's going to be presented in April. I think it's the 11th of April.
1: It is, and the early bird tickets um, end on the 11th of March. So, if you are planning to come, please get in early and book so that you don't pay extra.
0: And if you live far away, the $10,000 plane tickets also will eventually disappear <laughs> too. Uh, you know, for some reason, it's on a weekend when, believe it or not, Australian plane tickets are more expensive than, than at other times around then. So. But nonetheless, it is an interesting and exciting thing. Thank you so much to Hani for joining us. I really, really Thanks appreciate it. Me. Thank you, Sean, for making time to be part of the podcast. Thank you. And as always, Elisa, it's been a pleasure and it's really <laughs> great that you could join us.
3: Yes, thank you for asking. It was a pleasure.
0: And with that, this is the unexpected sort of Gorilla Aurealis Awards Good po- Street podcast episode that will be out within hours. Ooh. So until next mm. week, this is and remains... The Croods Street Podcast.